If I told you what that what I put them lads through, you wouldn't believe it. Curling has to be the most difficult, eye-hurting sport I've ever witnessed. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been described as the bridesmaids of Harlan, but today we got married. Oh, there's no rules. This guy just grabbed the ball, threw it up in the air, and then hit it. But, both of Harlan, I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us through taking place. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Hurling Podcast. This week, Ben and I sat down with the man we know as Uncle Dave. Dave hurled midfield for Wexford on the 1968 All-Ireland winning team and at just 20 years of age was the youngest man on the field. He also won three Leinster titles and a National Hurling League with Wexford, as well as a Railway Cup with Leinster. Dave was a selector with the Wexford team from 89 to 94 and he has always played a vital role for Wexford in the background raising finances and lending support wherever he can. This is our episode with Dave Burney. So the most important question, Dave, as a man in his 70s who's lived in Dublin longer than he has in Wexford, do you class yourself as a Wexford man or a Dublin man? Well, I don't think the colours ever changed. I'm still very much a Wexford man, follow all things Wexford, and I'm hurt and offended if Wexford, if I see Wexford, being hurt and offended as well. Is there any liking towards Dublin then, to being here so long? Only when the cooler lads are playing with Dublin. If any of the cooler lads play with Dublin, I'm a Dublin supporter. I loved Michael Fitzsimmons. Uh, he was one of my favourite players, as is Conor Callaghan. I would have played with Conn's father. We won a couple of championships together. And uh, I was involved with the football team and brought Michael Fitzsimons into the team and he would have been one of the most indisciplined chaps to join the team he'd no sooner he'd no sooner arrive he'd be late and he got two laps of the field for that and then we would uh, be in the middle of drills and he'd be chatting with some of the lads he got another two for that and we built up uh, from there I, I, I'm so thrilled for him the way he has developed and because I didn't think uh, he was a bit like Mick Holden when he came into the Dublin panel first even when he came into me first it didn't look like as if he was a footballer at all and uh, he has seven All-Ireland medals now so we'll have to give him <laughs> credit for having some footballing ability but he just uh, he just had an innate ability to do the right thing at the right time and his lack of uh, discipline that led to all his two laps by two laps by two laps probably helped his fitness along the way. In the beginning, probably, <laughs> prob- probably did, probably did. But it's uh, just so proud of him for uh, the. Uh, in fact, he has eight all the medals because he also played full back on the junior team before he was picked on the senior panel. Yeah, Con has a few too. <laughs> how yes. Many, how many has Con got? Uh, Con has four. Four. And counting. And sorry. counting. And counting. And counting. Oh, sorry, sorry. Didn't he, didn't he I'm not the counting the two, the two All-Ireland Hurling medals that he has with, with Kula. Yeah, and the under-21s. Under-21s then. Hurling and football, didn't he? I don't think he won Hurling. Oh no, he wouldn't have the All-Ireland in Hurling. No, no. But it was something like... He may have won a Leinster. He won a football under-21, a senior football and a club hurling All-Ireland all within 12 months of each other, I think. 
serious. Yeah. And probably um, a Leinster under 21 hurling thrown in there, possibly. Yeah, I suppose the first time I shouted for Dublin was in 83 when Mick Holden joined the panel, the Dublin panel, Hefo brought him in. And uh, I would have known, I worked with Hefo actually, and would have known him very well. When he brought Mick, when he brought Mick in, we, I mean, Mick was a great hurler. He was a brilliant hurler, brilliant. Um, I mean, Mick had scored three or four goals every day, he went out for Kula. And he played with Dublin as well, and he also was a class performer with himself and PJ, and with Vinny uh, on the hurling team. When he played with uh, with Dublin, I was a hundred percent Dublin supporter. And in '83, uh, I was thrilled for both himself and the family. Uh, I knew his mother very well and all the sisters, and they made a great great contribution to uh, to Kula and to Dublin. And I can recall the night that uh, we we had a we had a big celebration, and uh, for Mike Michael and. Tom as well. We made uh, made Tom a presentation also, but who arrived out? But uh, Kevin Heffernan. He didn't go to any of those things, but Mick was just a special player, and Heffo loved him. And I remember we had nothing to give to Heffo, so we just bought him a bottle of brandy and presented that to him. But I remember him saying about Mick when he was paying tribute to Mick. He said he never got as many calls about any footballer that he had in the panel as he did about Mick. And he said, fellas were ringing up and telling him, that fella's a horror, he's not a footballer. He has no right foot or he has no left foot either. He can't kick football. He's this and he's that and, and he's <coughs> something else. But as Heffo said about him, he said, a soldier is not a soldier until he goes to war. And then you know whether you have a soldier or not. And he said, Mick Holden was a soldier. <laughs> he would be a granddad, would be, of the two shooters who... Held for Dublin last few years? Tom would be. Tom, Mick's father. Okay, so... Mick would have been an uncle. Mick would be an uncle of An the uncle of, of the two Chutes, yeah. Yeah, Margaret was their mother. But Carl Chute also won championships with... I would have won a championship with, uh, with Carl as well. Uh, he was wing back on our 89 team that went to the, the Leinster final. We beat Buffers Alley in the semi-final, and uh, we went to the we went to the uh, Leinster final that year. Who beat you in the Leinster final? Uh, Shamrocks, Valley Hale. We had drawn with him in a seven aside a few years beforehand. I had all the penalties with him and Mason and all those guys, and I went to uh, it was level after extra time, and I went to a shootout, and um, I took the last twenty one. They were they had gone ahead. We were one up. I took the last twenty one, and just put it over the black spot. Didn't go under. Forgive <laughs> me for that one. Uh, and they went down and won the sevens after, but, uh, and they went down and won the All Ireland as well. You just talked about how there was arguments over Mick Holden and whether he was a hurler or a footballer. So you yourself were a hurler and a footballer and a dual county player. Was there arguments about you about which you should be playing or focusing on? Yeah. I wouldn't say it was. I played both. You were just happy enough to play I both. Played, I played. Uh, I played minor hurling and football uh, for two years. I played 20, 21 a couple of years. In fact, it was in. Um, uh, we played an under twenty one football game above in Ockram. We played uh, Wicklow, and Wicklow had got to the Leinster final the previous year, and uh, they were had the thought had a team good enough to win it. And they brought in the Kerry Miner, who had won in All Ireland, chap called Sullivan, played in the middle of the field for Kerry that year, or, uh, the year before. 
in the minor and my job was to stop him from playing football and it was probably easier to stop a guy from playing football than it was to kick football yourself but anyway I was particularly fit at the time I stayed with him and we beat uh, Wakefield not easy, easy beat him in Ockram but we beat him anyway and uh, I got a, a bonus on I coming out of uh, Ockram Nicky Rankard was waiting for me at the gate got to be good to him and he invited me down to Waterford the following Thursday night. She said, we're playing Waterford in the Dr. Canaan Cup. And if you can make your way down, he said, we'd delighted to see you down there. And that was my first, that was my first run with uh, the senior hurling team. But I'd already played with the senior football team. Yeah. Had you any success underage with Wexford at all? In the football? In football or hurling? In the football, I would have had success. We won a Leinster. I was captain of football. The last year was in Peters. And uh, we won a Leinster B championship in football. In the hurling, I would have no, I, would have, I wouldn't have had any success at underage. No. You were pretty much straight on the senior team. Out of minor? Yeah. Well, I, I was on, playing 21 as well at the time. So I was playing, I was playing under 21 hurling in football and senior hurling in football with both Wexford and with my club, Ferns. And you were the youngest man in 68 All-Ireland Final, you were the youngest man on the field at 21. So, uh, nowadays... No, 20. 20. Nowadays, that wouldn't be uncommon. Was that very young at the time? Well, me all I thought it was anyway. I didn't didn't know the difference. I felt if I was, if I, if I was uh, good enough, I was old enough. Nicky Rackard got you after the football game to ask you in to play hurling to join the hurling panel <laughs> and was it based on your stopping ability of the Kerry O'Sullivan lad in the football game or did he just know he could find you there and knew he no, knew he could hurl Nicky Rackard was an extraordinary character insofar as he loved hurling he loved Wexford and he would have been at all the Peters matches that I would have played in uh, and different guys as well and he would have known what we were made of as we grew up speaking of a uh, Nicky Rackard, the team of the Millennium. Yeah, Nicky didn't make it. Ray Cummins was chose ahead. You're actually, if you look at uh, Nicky Rackard's Wikipedia page, there's a quote from you in it saying that people in Wexford are shocked that he wasn't included. Absolutely devastated. It was the greatest travesty that could have been, that could have happened, an absolute legend. I was just doing a run through the scores there and uh, Nicky Rackard played 25, 25 or 35 championship games, 60 minute championship games and he scored 60 goals. Now I'm told the Cork man that was on that selection committee was a former president and uh, that he refused to go home until Ray Cummins was selected on that team. And now Ray Cummins was a great hurler, great footballer. He was brilliant. Wouldn't have put him in the legend status now with record, but Ray played exactly the same number of championship games as Nicky Rackard. But he played 60, 70 and 80 minute games. And the many goals that he scored, now Nicky scored 60 in the 35, 60 minute games. Ray scored 18. Where did Ray play? Two of them played in the same position. Ray played full forward in hurling and football for Cork. Great player, but not in the same class or the same league and I don't think he would have been meeting the same opposition as Nicky had to meet in those days the game was different he had a fan at the meeting anyway Ray Cummins yeah a big <laughs> fan yes a former president 
It was um, a travesty to Nicky Rackard uh, because he was one of the great legends and, uh, you know, Ray Cummins came from a county and was winning All-Irelands. Nicky was making a breakthrough with his band of warriors. There was a lot of people actually who thought DJ should have got in. Would you have thought that as well? I wouldn't put him in before Eddie Kerr. I was just going to say Eddie Kerr there too. Yeah, well, DJ uh, obviously had a great career. Uh, with Kilkenny, he was playing in a different time to uh, Eddie Kerr and uh, Jimmy Doyle. And, I mean, Eddie Kerr would have had to contend with the likes of John Doyle and Willie Murphy and fellas like that. I'm not sure how DJ would have got on and those guys. Uh, but uh, Jimmy Doyle held his own no matter what company he was in as well. And I do feel that... Uh, you know, I, I, I certainly would have, uh, uh, I, I would have selected both of them uh, and I don't think there was any injustice uh, there. I mean, Eddie Kerr to me was, the, he was outstanding. You would have I, played against Eddie Kerr? I played him. against him and I played with him at Leinster. Uh, we would have won Rainbow Cups and that together. And uh, he was, uh, and just to give you an idea, like Eddie Kerr played 50 championship games scored 36 goals, which was double the amount of, that Ray Cummins scored. Does Ray Cummins have a statue of him in Cork City? I wouldn't <coughs> think so. No. <laughs> After the All-Ireland last year, Brian Carroll actually tweeted, seen as uh, Seamus Callan last year scored a goal in every game in eight games, which is an incredible record. He tweeted out to show all, all the players who had done it and... It was Seamus Callan's total score in eight games was eight goals and twenty points. In nineteen fifty six, four games, Nicky Record scored twelve goals and fifteen points. <laughs> in four games. Four games. Four games. Yeah. Brian Carroll's tweet said uh, since the fifties ten players have won an All Ireland scoring a goal in every game. Seamus Callan all the more impressive because of the amount of games he played. But that Nicky Record must have been good. <laughs> oh, yeah. The next best is six goals and he has 12 12 goals oh, sorry the next best games. is eight goals in eight eight goals in eight games right so he has 12 and four yeah well Seamus Callan scored some great goals as well but I mean Nicky Racker seven goals and seven points in one game <laughs> five goals and four points in another he must have scored nothing in the other two sorry he <laughs> scored nothing in the other two well he had to he scored a goal in every game <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well Nicky has a song and a statue and I don't think Ray has those so Nicky's the real winner well it was a travesty to see him being blackguarded in that way um, I was looking at an interview you did at the, the civic reception for the 68 team and you were saying that he didn't have a great first half and then Podge Kill he unleashed hell at half time did he? he did yes he did and <laughs> He, he needed to. Podge was a great hurling brain. Probably the best I've ever encountered. He was a great tactician. He was a great man to read a game. And he read it and did everything very quickly. But at half time, we came into the dressing room. We hadn't done ourselves justice. And uh, we all knew that. We had plenty of opportunities, but we weren't getting scores. And uh, he made a switch at half time. Shank Sweden got injured in the first half, picked up a bad injury. And the switch was to put Tony Dorn in full forward. And Paul Lynch was a great overhead striker. Centre forward on Mick Roach. And John Quigley in in on the wing. Uh, But at half-time, Ned Power was probably... He was one of the best trainers 
that uh, probably in the history of the GEA, he trained two winning teams that day in Crow Park, the minor team and the senior team. Probably the best day of Wexford ever had in Crow Park. We came out of Crow Park that day with the two cups. And But anyway, just to get back, Ned believed that uh, the mug of tea at half time uh, was great for the thirst. And the table was full of cups of tea or mugs of tea and saucers and what have you. And uh, a, a big pot of tea. And Podge was talking, but there didn't seem to be anybody. Lads were talking as well and didn't seem to be anybody listening. And all of a sudden, he came down with the hurl, in the middle of the table, in the middle of the crockery. Delph went everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, there was dead silence and, and Podge was in full flow. And not a mug of tea left. <laughs> <laughs> but he had sent out for John Quigley. The subs didn't come into the dressing room at that time. And also, we didn't have any tracksuits. So I can still see John coming in to the dressing room. He had a white mac on him. And as soon as he opened the door and Podge saw him coming in, he went over to him, grabbed the whole to him of the jacket, the white mac, shoved them up against him green colour partition a wooden partition in the old dressing rooms and lifted them off the ground and he said to him I've been listening to you mouthing out all year he says you're getting your chance now get out there and do the business and uh, there still wasn't a sound <laughs> I remember John was talking out beside me and he came over and he said what am I supposed to do <laughs> <laughs> and I said well, you could start by taking off that coat <laughs> he said oh uh, in any case, he went out and he did himself justice when he went out, as we all did that day. And Ned Power um, thinking that tea was the best thing, was that that was the sports science thinking at the time, was it? I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. But uh, Ned Power did very little without, uh, without doing uh, his research on it. But it was amazing, the transformation in the team. Uh, I mean, Pat Nolan kept us in it. He was... He was a super, super goalkeeper. He brought off some brilliant and crucial saves. And our full backline was tight as tuppence then in the second half. That really tightened up. And our half backline swept into the game. As Phil Wilson myself in the middle of the field, we just took over the middle of the field. And the ball was going through then, through to the full forward line. And you had Tony there, hungry as ever, grabbing balls, Jack Berry uh, and Jimmy O'Brien. Probably the most underrated player that went through Wexford over many years. He was as tough as nails. I remember somebody telling me that uh, in 1960 he was playing a corner forward in John Doyle. And John Doyle went into the dressing room. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but I just can't handle him. And that was Jimmy Doyle. Half John Doyle, or Jimmy O'Brien. Half John Doyle size. And the next year, Kilkenny Beachy, was, were they just better? Or had you maybe... In 68. In 69. Or in 69. Uh, no, Kilkenny didn't beat us. Uh, we were beaten by Offaly. But we had uh, we'd won all our games through the league. And we played Cork in the league final. And uh, we lost four players that day against Cork. I ended up with my thumb broken in five places. And I lost two teeth. Dan Quigley, within two minutes, his finger was broken. He had to go off. We lost, uh, I know Phil Wilson didn't play in the Leinster final, and we lost Willie Murphy as well, and uh, awfully beat us. Kilkenny went on to win the champ, but that was the start of the good 
the uh, Paddy Malays and those guys, uh, Declan Hanafy's, uh, Damien Martin, superkeeper. It was the start of start of that awfully team coming through. And then you came back. You came back in seventy, and you won Leinster again. You got to the final. Came back in seventy. We yeah yeah we. Uh, there again, we had a very tough game against uh, Kilkenny in the Leinster final. Very tough game. I can remember it. I can remember it well. I was over in Mayo at the time, and uh, remember being out training. I normally trained in uh, Clare Morris with an old Galway hurler, Bill Dervin, uh, but there was a football match on in Clare Morris that that evening, and uh, I went out to Hollymount, and I was training out there, and. Uh, I remember I was down doing press ups and I got a tap on the shoulder. A chap would come out from Claire Morris to tell me that my father hadn't been well, he got a bit of a turn and I was to go home. So I made my way home anyway and he hadn't been well but around Christmas he said to me I'd be right for the Leinster final. And uh, but he died ten days beforehand. I can remember and tears coming down my face as I walked behind the band beforehand and I just said to him this one is for you uh, because he was lucky or I was lucky that he was at the All-Ireland final that I played in and that we won and he was so proud uh, and uh, <clears throat> probably put a few extra years on but he's still a young man when he died but um, it's probably one of the better games that I ever played uh, and I was hurling on a, had a soft touch that day in Frank Cummins uh, you guys wouldn't remember him playing but he was one of the great midfielders he won seven All-Irelands playing in the middle of the field Kilkenny strong as a horse but Wexford hurled really well that day hurled really well uh, we were hurling really well Kilkenny were really up for it and there was no quarter asked for or given and uh, we ended up losing four before the final and then in the final is that the is that where you they say you were the best man on the field in the final am I wrong with that final or is it 77 no they did say that Seventy. Uh, yeah in 70 uh, he'd been interviewed beforehand by Eugene McGee he was writing for the Sunday Press at the time and uh, he, we talked uh, about the match and the interview was about the game what have you and he just said to me I suppose he said uh, uh, you were probably playing on the one of the better Cork players is playing. He's, he's had a very good Leinster or a Munster campaign. He said, Jared McCarthy. Uh, he said, how are you going to handle him? And I said, well, sure, if he doesn't get the ball, what can he do? So he printed that. And McCarthy started before him. I'm not going to get a ball, am I? Are you not going to get a ball? <laughs> I said, you're thinking my right. You're not going to get a ball. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, I got a bad old pass. One that I had to stoop down for and he ran from about 10 yards and pulled his best and I was knocked out. Uh, he was probably pulling on the ball but he made contact with my forehead anyway and uh, I was out but that ball stitched me up at half time. I got five stitches and I came back in. But we were well beaten that day. We got off to a great start and we got well. It was the day that Teddy O'Brien scored the three goals and three points. But he was, Paddy Downey printed afterwards that uh, when he uh, got man of the match that he said to, to Paddy Downey that uh, I should have got it. But there again, he was probably being kind. Easier to get it if you win. Exactly. And scoring 3-3 three, three wouldn't be bad yeah, either. Wouldn't be bad, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whether you... got 3-3, three, three, I'd expect again. <laughs> whether you deserved it or not, I, I think if uh, if he hadn't got it after scoring 3-3 three, three and winning, he yeah. would have been fairly, fairly I upset. I suppose I got on the team of the... Uh, I got, on the independent team of the year that year so 
Was that final seventy? That was that was an eighty, 80 minute. Eighty minute, yeah. So that was the first ever. First eighty minute, yeah. Just the final? No, no. There's all the games that year were eighty minutes. And that go on for long? No, I think uh, I think it changed the following year. It was just just that little bit uh, that little bit too long. Would you have noticed a big increase from when you were playing? You played sixty minute games as well, did you? Yes. And your club would have been 60 minutes. And then you're going up to 80 for... Went from 60 to 80, yeah. That must have been a massive... It was a massive for jump. For fitness, like... It was a massive jump, yes. It was. Uh, but it meant in the last 10 minutes the game opened up as well. Yeah. Spells were getting a little bit tired. Uh, but I think 70, they got it about right with the 70. You've mentioned being um, knocked out and getting five stitches in your head. And you've mentioned losing your two front teeth. And you've mentioned broken fingers. Do you look back on it now and looking at lads with their helmets and uh, ash guards or hand guards and think that you were mad? Or do you think what are the lads doing with all the protective gear now? Well, it's funny. Um, I mentioned Ray Cummins earlier on there. And it was Ray Cummins and his brother, uh, Bernie, that introduced the helmets to the game. The old ski helmets. Yeah. Uh, And after that game, I wore a helmet after the 70 game and in 71 then, you went on a holiday and then you were suspended. In 71 we won the Railway Cup, yes. And uh, there was a few of us invited over to the States, over to New York. Uh, six of us, in fact. <clears throat> so the six of us headed off anyway. And we played uh, Little Kenny uh, uh, in Gaelic Park. And it was the New York semi-final. And we had, we had six over. But they had four over. And I happened to be playing on Paddy Moran, who I always played on here. Uh, so we had a, had a right two over there. But the teams were, uh, something funny happened, the teams were level. And time was almost up. And we got a free about 60 yards out, or free taker. Uh, at the time, he stood over the ball. and He stood over for quite a while. I didn't know whether he was wasting time or what he was at. But he turned around to me and he said, Would you... Called me over said, would you put that over the bar? I stuck out my chest and said, just, just watch the black spot and put it over. But I didn't realise until later on the night, we all went back to the uh, to uh, Keenan's Lounge, which was on the Bronx. And we were there, we were fed there and we ate and drank and uh, we had a, had a super night. But late on in the night, uh, a fella called uh, Martin Lai, who was over there, he was the Kenny manager he arrived in to say hello to us but I didn't realise until I saw him taking out all these hundred dollar bills out of his pocket that he was paying off a debt there was three thousand dollars waged on the game now this is 1970 on the game with uh, our free taker of the day and uh, he was in New York, he was in New York at the time he was the captain also so we uh, continued to celebrate after that, but I must say I was delighted to meet Martin Crowley. It never happened on the or Martin Lahey. He was a brother of Terry Lahey's, the great Kenny Hurler, who won a, an All-Ireland in uh, '47. But Martin was a very nice guy. And uh, now I got $200 in a leaving, but I also played a football game that day after the hurling. played with Monaghan, and I got another $100 there that and uh, worked the following day. Mick Morrissey had arranged 
for a number of us to go out and he managed the bakery out in White Plains and uh, we went out there and spent a day with me working now we weren't uh, some of us weren't in much uh, in much farm for uh, uh, for working or being near uh, ovens hot ovens but uh, in any case I excused myself and uh, headed off for a while now Teddy O'Connor and myself were taking the uh, taking the, the loaves and putting them on trolleys taking them out from the, the ovens but when I got back anyway there was a big pile of uh, loaves loaves of bread all over the place the pile began to head up it was just too much for one guy to handle on his own but I got a warning that day uh, from the manager was a German in any case uh, that night uh, I had enough and Miami was the place to go that time and uh, there was a friend of mine who was ordained down in Peters that I knew and I knew he was in Miami so I made a few calls and got his number and I took a yellow bird the following evening down to Miami he picked me up in Miami I was swimming in Miami Beach the following day and that was the place to go at that time the place to go uh, so we had a ball down there Got suspended anyway for my troubles when I came back, uh, as did the other lads. What was the reasoning behind the suspension? Uh, we missed the league match. Missed the league match at Wexford? Yeah. So just that you were back late? Back late, yeah. You took an extended trip down could, to Miami? Could say that, yeah. How long was the extended trip? Uh, about eight days. Oh, not terrible. And it was just uh, Wexford management who suspended you? I presume it was the county board. I would think it should, if it's going to be like that, it should come from the manager as opposed to the county board interfering in. Well, it wouldn't have been Padge Keo anyway. Padge wasn't. Uh, he, no. He, no, no. <laughs> I think Jimmy Roach was chairman at the time, so. Uh, I think it might have been Jimmy, because I know Jimmy was trying to contact me. And you, t- you took a break for a few years from Inter County Hurling, yeah? Uh, no, I uh, was asked to rejoin the panel then uh, in uh, 73. And we won the league in 73. Uh, and we beat Limerick in the final. You were asked to rejoin the panel in 73? I'd rejoined the So panel. you had been off from 70, off 71 70, yeah. until 73. Was that all the suspension? Yeah. Okay. Or was that long a suspension? Well, I was uh, picked up an injury with my club. And uh, I was out injured. Uh, but I, was, I came back in the autumn of 72. And played through the played through the league. We won all our games in the league, and we played Limerick in the league final. And uh, I got married in '72 as well. My wife Ina was in hospital at that stage. Uh, she was there for three months, expecting triplets. And I just rushed from Crow Park over to the hospital because they said that uh, something like the excitement of the game could bring the uh, birth on. And as it so happened, when I got there, she was actually on a drip. They were trying to stop labour. She had started labour. They were trying to stop it to give the triplets a better chance to develop. And as it so happened, they were able to stop it off. But it was shortly afterwards that they, they arrived. So you, taking a short break from Intercounty Ireland, had nothing to do with triplets? I never looked at things that way. <laughs> <laughs> it was an imposed break. I didn't take the break. It was imposed upon me. It was to do an eight-day trip to Miami. Ah, yes. <laughs> and an injury. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And so you're back on the panel in 73. And it was... It was 76 then before you had... You had any success. Yes. Now, if we look at it... When I would look at it... Wexford win the All-Ireland in 68. Win in Leinster in 70. I think he won minor... Minor All-Irelands in 67, 68. Won another 21 All-Ireland in 65. Correct, yeah. Why do you think the success tapered off, say, after 70? When you consider that you've won won an All-Ireland, then those young players coming through, why why did it take till 76 then to get back there? Yes, well, you'd say coming out of Club Park in 68 after winning the double... I mean, it was a magic time. It was living the dream, really. Uh, going to Wembley in 68. It was a dream come true to join the panel, first of all. But to get to Wembley and to play in Wembley was part of that dream. And then to win the All-Ireland. You know, we were winning the Canaan Cup, the uh, Leinster Cup, won a Walsh Cup, and then win the All-Ireland. Uh, and then we played, we played uh, Coventry and won the Coventry tournament as well after the Wembley tournament. And uh, it was just a phenomenal run, and then to uh, win, uh, to win the Red Cup in seventy one, to be nominated for the first All Star in seventy one as well, and it looked like this was going to continue, but a few things happened. Podgeo was a serious loss. Nicky Rackard was also a big loss. In you know with the sixty eight team, for example, you had. You had legends there involved. You had Poshko, you had Nicky, you had Mick O'Hanlon, you had Tom Donahue, and uh, you had uh, Nicky Cardiff, and you had Silbarn. You know, like Nicky Rackard, Poshko, or Mick O'Hanlon, or Tom Donahue, they wouldn't have cared where fellas came from. They wanted the best team to go up for Wexford. And unfortunately, the quality dipped in the management. And when that happens... You have all kinds of club uh, that's trying to get club players in and their own club men in. And you're, you know, it kills the morale of the team. And that happened, uh, and it wasn't until Tony Dempsey came in as chairman in 76 that uh, even though we won the league in 73, it wasn't until Tony came in in 76 that he, he was a very, young, a very young chairman and his address, nobody gave him a chance of being elected, but his first statement to county or to the county convention was that he was uh, now chairman. He'd give it one year, and if he didn't win a Leinster the first year, he'd resign. And went on and won two Leinsters, seventy six and seventy seven. And Tom Neville was uh, was manager in those years, and Tony would have had a huge involvement and would have brought a lot of common sense management into. Uh, into the thing as well and but I'd say 76 76 were very unlucky Brian Murphy was playing a cornerback for for Cork and he pulled Tony Doran down and Tony going through which would have been the winning goal and Murphy that was an All-Ireland that we should have won he went was it 2-3 to a point up that's right 9 minutes that's right and lost and lost yeah it's incredible really think about it. it was I wasn't playing that day now a bit different if you were playing it might have yeah why weren't you playing that day uh, I wasn't selected you weren't in Miami or anything <laughs> 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 but 
but I was brought back into panel then we were playing Cork in the league and uh, I was brought back into panel I was playing on the guy to score 10 points well you weren't in the panel even for no. 76 no I was in the, in the Hogan stand I suppose I could blame the triplets maybe <laughs> <laughs> they might expect <laughs> I accept the blame for but uh, in se- we should definitely have won that on 77 we probably overtrained I mean I was travelling up and down four nights a week there was a number of us here in Dublin travelling up four nights a week and on the Sunday beforehand I remember saying to Tom Neville I said if, if I come down four nights this week my farm is left on the road because I was even tired on that Sunday mm. but we still had to uh, we still had to persevere and uh, didn't we get broke down then we went down for a meeting on the Friday night and the car broke down on the way back and we didn't get home until two o'clock where were the trainings those days were they in, in Wexford Patrick's Park they were in Patrick's Park yeah and there was no there was no M11 ah. <laughs> there was no M11 no there wasn't at that stage how long was it taking you to get down and back up or how long was the journey sure taking we were about three and a half hours to four hours on the road was Mickey Lynch providing sandwiches in Patrick's Park afterwards yeah Mickey looked after us very well actually and a soup huh? and a soup and a soup yeah yeah he looked after us uh, looked after us very well parents too though we didn't have much time now to uh, we just had a quick bite and we were gone and, but I mean you know we didn't have anything to eat in 68 it was much better we were looked after much better how come the triplets get all the blame and the twins get off scot-free <laughs> well the trips uh, the, uh, the twins arrived uh, in 74 how many months after the triplets uh, 16 months after yeah but they were uh, they were two months premature and it was one of them only two pounds six ounces what age were you at that time when the twins arrived 27 or? 27 so how was it to be 27 and have five daughters <laughs> under the age of two well I was very lucky to be to be married to a wonderful woman <laughs> and she was a nurse and she was highly organised as she still is and uh, I did my bit I'd like to think you travel, tra- travel down from Dublin four, four nights a week for training <laughs> yeah it was heavy going it was heavy going heavy going the Oireachtas medal was the only medal I didn't have I played the Oireachtas in 77, 78. Played the Oireachtas final. That was in Wexford. And that was my last game. I finished up after that with the county. And I remember that night, we beat Galway in, in Wexford Park. I went into the bar afterwards, uh, before I left, and I was in a meeting there with Joe McDonough. And he was on his honeymoon. Joe had just, he had just got married. He was one of the, one of the great Galway players. Former, uh, he's a... Uh, he was a president afterwards. He sang The West Awake after they winning their famous All Ireland and Joe. The Galway captain of the day. Joe Connolly gave the famous speech. Yeah, John's brother. Gave the famous speech and Joe sang The West Awake. And it was a very touching, very emotional moment, certainly for Galway people, to have won their, won their All Ireland after many years. They hadn't won it from 33 was the last one they had won. And uh, uh, it was a magnificent occasion. But uh, Joe, Joe and Peggy were two great singers. She was Peggy was a great singer as well. Willie Murphy and Christy Keown, a few of the lads were there. We had a great sing song to, and a great evening with uh, with Joe. Happened on many times after. He was a great president also, and certainly left us well before his time. So he had his honeymoon down in Wexford. Had a honeymoon. That that was the start of the honeymoon. Yeah, going to a hurling match. Playing in a hurling <laughs> match. Playing yeah, in a hurling. Played against the tattoo. 
Oh, so he played against you and it was the start of his honeymoon. Yeah. This is the Joe McDonough that the Joe McDonough Cup is named after. That's yeah. right, yeah, Murray Man, yeah. yeah. What year did you transfer from Ferns to play with Kula? I won the, uh, won the intermediate. I had been training Kula, managed him for a couple of years. I played, I played with Ferns in the final against Rath Muir in 79. My two brothers were on the line and probably should have been playing. In 1966, Paddy captained Wexford in 66, won the minor. There were four points down with four minutes to go in the All-Ireland final against Cork. And he scored a goal on the point. The replay was in Crow Park as well. And the ball was going over. First ball was going over the bar for Wexford. And the cornerback pulled straight down to his face. He was down on the ground. And your man down on top of him. Jimmy Hatton was refereeing it. Came up, down, put the two of them off. In 66 or 76? 66. He was captain of the minor team. In 66? Yeah. He captain Peters then, the following yeah. year, 67. Yeah, wasn't there something about Paddy being the only one to captain two All-Ireland winning teams, the That's minor right. and the Peters? Peters, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he got a Leinster medal in 77. He was on the panel. 77. So what what year did you say that Paddy was um, didn't make the starting furnace team? Seventy nine. Seventy nine. Yeah, himself and Ben were in the. And seventy seven, he was on the. Seventy seven on the Wexford team. On the Wexford yeah. panel that won the Leinster final. Yeah, Paddy mm-hmm. would have been. Uh, you would have imagined he would have been one of the best forwards on. Ninth class, I made up my mind, and I saw that, that I was going to play with Cool in the following year, which was nineteen eighty. Played with Cool in nineteen eighty, and. We were beaten by O'Toole's in the semi-final of the championship that year. And we were beaten by them in the semi-final again the following year, 81. And I was asked if I'd uh, coach the, the team, the intermediate football team, cool the team, uh, when we went out of the, the hurling championship. So good few dual players. And it meant we were all free then to play football. And to, uh, uh, and we went on in one day at the intermediate football. Championship that, that year, that was 81. We were we went to the senior final in the following year, senior football final. Beat Vincent's in the first round. And uh, Mickey Holden got married that year. And it was before before the first round. And there was a few of the Vincent's lads at the match, or at the wedding. And they weren't, they weren't even thinking about the match. They thought it was going to be a walkover. But we beat them. Anyway, and there was a, bittersweet one for us um, and uh, I became chairman of uh, of the development committee in Kula then and uh, we put up the clubhouse we organised the licence the licensing committee I, I, uh, as chairman I raised the funds and all for that so we put the clubhouse in place and we did some developments on the pitch and that also a few years later then I was uh, chairman of the hurling committee and I would have put the structures in place there because things were very haphazard. There at the time, it was a dual club and you went from hurling to football, but there was no demarcation line there and neither was there any structure there. And uh, got the structures in place in, that was 88, in the, the uh, autumn of 88. And we got, uh, we got uh, 
the representatives going to the meetings, to the county board meetings and that, so as they could come back and report back on when the matches were. And that was very important to get the dates of the matches and know everything it was haphazard. The other way, you'd be waiting for the uh, even Herald or the Evening Press. Now you had, you knew as soon as the fixtures were made, you got the you got a feedback what have you so we knew what was going on and that but uh, we also got to, got to put the academy in place the following year was 89 and things ran very smoothly not only did we win the uh, the championship and league double but we won the uh, junior championship and league also so we had four championships and then we'd beaten we'd drawn with and beaten Buffers Alley in the, uh, uh, the Leinster semi-final who were the uh, All-Ireland champions at the time and we were unlucky to be beaten by uh, Shamrocks then in the Leinster final that year Who was manager of Ferns in 79? <laughs> 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 was this 89 you were talking about when you said you lost to Paddy Hale in the Leinster final? Yeah it was 89-90 Ah uh, yeah uh, the only one the All Ireland eighty nine that would have been March yeah. eighty nine so it was the eighty nine ninety season. That's right. They won it in eighty eight, didn't they? Buffers Alley. Yeah, it would have been the eighty eight. Oh, wow. They yeah. won the county final in eighty eight and yeah. went on to the All Ireland, which would have been in the eighty nine. Patrick's Day and Patrick's Day. Yeah, they won it. Yeah. In fact, I was on with I was on Sunday game with uh, Michael Lester for that game. For Club All Ireland. Yeah. Did you have many appearances on the Sunday game? I had a few, yeah. I had a few. You weren't kept on? No, but they were changing. Aye. Oh, time and... Uh, you just didn't have the time for it, you mean? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was in enough trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you stop? When did you finish hurling with Kula then? With Kula, I finished hurling... After the Leinster Club final, which was my last game. I was 42 at that stage. Time enough. There wasn't a whole lot left at that stage. In 89. We actually beat Luzma of Offaly in the quarter final. And the match was over in uh, O'Toole Park. But we beat him by uh, 7.28 to 1.7 or 1.8. And uh, Des Cahill right out to score. Des is cooler now as well. And Des went out to score. And he said, hold on a second. He said, I'll have to check that score. I can't ever remember it. Cooler scoring seven goals. You see? So the chairman of, uh, of Luzma caused the post-mortem meeting to follow on Friday night in Luzma. I don't know whether you know Tool Park or not, but there's massive housing estates all around in industrial estates in around the same area. But they concluded anyway that the reason they lost was because they weren't used to playing in a built-up area. Whether that makes sense or not. <laughs> People will find their excuses. <laughs> I want to go, go back to the part where you said you were asked about Mark and Gerald McCarthy and you said that he'd have to get the ball first and then he printed that out. I mean, Eugene McGee put that in the paper yeah in the press Eugene McGee put it in the paper and then he took it out and he used that as his motivation yeah I mean that, that kind of thing still goes on today would that have gone on much you would have heard what another team said about you and you you, you use that as your motivation not really no you'd be surprised how much it happens now <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Michael Jordan used to 
Huh? Anyone who's seen, if you've seen The Last Dance on Michael Jordan, it look, he'd look for something that some that the opposition had said. Sometimes it wouldn't even have said anything. He'd just make it up that they were been. It wouldn't even have existed, but in his head, he needs to go out there and prove these lads wrong. <laughs> in 89, then, I came in as a selector. With Wexford? Yeah. As soon as you finished playing? As soon as I, in fact, I was still playing because I was in, in a selector when I played against uh, Buffers Alley. And how did, that, how did that work out for the game for any of the county lads who that had the Buffers Alley lads who wanted to be on the team when you were a selector? Sure. I <laughs> didn't think too deeply about it. I think something similar happened a couple of years ago when Eddie Brennan was manager of Leash. He was only after coming in as manager of Leash and I think in Eddie Brennan's club one they were playing Lens in the Leinster club against and he was marking one of the lads on the leash panel I think yeah I'm not sure how it worked out on yeah. I think kick any club won anyway as you'd expect but, but I remember in uh, that, the match against Buffers Alley the replay Lammy got me but she rang me and said she, she'd never ring before a match or never I never you know I never thought she was interested but she rang me and said you wear a helmet today against those Buffers Alley boys <laughs> And as I said, I better, I better uh, get a face guard and that. I tried on face guard before the match, but it just didn't work. But anyway, I put on the helmet. But uh, <coughs> yeah, coming in as selector then. With Christy Kill, was it? No, no, it was with Martin Quigley and Jimmy Furlong and uh, Michael O'Grady, brother Michael. You were there from 89 to 93, was it? 94. 94. Yeah, we got the three league finals in that four years. She meant we were winning most of our games, but that was always my philosophy anyway. Now we should go out and win every year. But also I felt it was important for the county board, for the finances, because you always get a great spin-off. A lot of fellas wouldn't even be thinking of a spin-off like that from the league, but I mean, it's a massive spin-off there from the from the league. It's like Kenny of uh, the county board has always been doing so well. It's because they were fighting for the leagues every year to get to the latter stage of it. And you always got the good spin-off. But uh, we were so unlucky in that time. We had the first game against Cork. We got a 50-yard free. Martin Story was fouled. Jim Cashman tripped him. And he was gone through. Only Jim Cashman got to him. He was gone through for a score, for a winner. And we got a free about 60 yards out. Put it over the upright and draw. And we went down then and had a second draw. And then uh, in the third match, Cork, they came something like an hour and a half late for the match and they left us there for that hour and a half they claimed the, the train broke down but I didn't believe that Cork would be always into gamesmanship that kind of thing so we were and I mean the day that the DJ showed we had Kenny Beaton the day that G, DJ kicked the ball that he took the 12 steps and uh, I only realised that I was in Cheltenham not that long ago and realised was well, got Pat Delaney from Rat Downey to ref that game. But uh, one of his umpires is Kennyman. I mean, that shouldn't happen. No, there's a lot of talk about that kind of thing these days. Even was it the All Ireland semi final? The Wexford and Tipperary game, was that ref- refereed by Kilkennyman and Kilkenny were already in the final? Yeah, they were saying that. That's right. There was actually, I remember it was nonsense. I think it was on the GEA or where, because James Owens was going to ref the, the All Ireland final with Kilkenny and tip and someone had brought up the story that James Owens lived and worked in Kilkenny oh yeah yeah. And it was complete nonsense yeah I'm sure he's been to Kilkenny <laughs> but it doesn't mean he lives and works there 
As a selector, you you brought back Larry O into the panel, did you? Brought, uh, we had, uh, I suppose of the, uh, we brought, brought Larry O in, we had, brought in Jared Cush, brought in Damien Fitz, brought in, uh, we had John O'Connor in, Liam Don, Adrian Fenlon, brought him in, brought in Larry Murphy, brought Did in Eamon Scallon, Eamon was playing with UCD at the time. Could um, you could you see from your time with being the selector for Wexford from eighty nine to ninety four the group of players that were there and did you know that there was something something special in them? They're a fantastic bunch of lads. Fantastic. They gave everything. And I suppose one of the reasons why I got involved with Hurling three six five and got the supporters club involved with it is because those lads were neglected at underage. Seriously neglected. There was a serious neglect of underage hurling in Wexford for many, many years. And uh, you can see what's happening now with 365. Fellas, there's a lot more people and young lads involved in hurling, and that's coming true. But we had a lot of work. We did a lot, a lot of work with those lads, skill-wise, on developing the skills and improving their skills. In fact, as I recall, we were playing Limerick in the first round of the league down in Limerick and I picked up one of the uh, prominent one of our prominent players over the past season or two I picked him up in town he was based in Dublin at the time and uh, he made an excuse to get into the back he said, said he was going to get in the back seat he needed a few hours sleep on the way down as he had had a rough night uh, drinking many pints and he hadn't have, didn't have any breakfast and as it so happened I happened to stop in uh, Port Leash for to get petrol, and uh, he got out of the car at that stage. He went in and bought his breakfast. His breakfast consisted of a packet of Rolos, a can of Coke, and a packet of Tato crisps. So I remember going into uh, the hotel in Limerick where we were having the, the tea before the game, and I remember meeting with Martin Quigley, Jimmy Furlong, and Michael O'Grady, and I remember saying to them, lads, I don't know how far down the minus scale we're starting with these guys, but it could be a long ways. We have a lot of work to do. I had leaned enough on the way down in the car to realise that the whole mindset of uh, certainly this particular player and probably the rest also would need to be changed, and we had a lot of work to do in that regard. That day, in fair play to, to the lads, they gave everything. And Billy Byrne scored a winning goal. He came in off the line scored a winning goal. And we started with two points. So that was a good start. That was a good start for us. But the mindset was all wrong. And lads had no idea how to mind themselves. Or maybe they had, but they weren't doing it. And I mean, that will give you an idea of where we were at that stage. But I mean, there was fabulous guys there. Like Eamon Cleary gave so much to the county. John Conran, Jimmy Houlihan. They were all brilliant guys. Martin Quigley himself. I'd love to have seen, seen those guys win in All-Ireland. If guys, you know, any guys deserve to win in All-Ireland, those guys did. I mean, they were, they were just, uh, they were brilliant and they served the county so, so well for so many years. So what do you think the difference then was in 96? In, in 96, I mean, most of the, most of those lads were there in 96. You, you know, you had uh, Damien Fitz was in, Jared uh, Cush, John O'Connor, was in, uh, Con Kyo was new, uh, he, he was new coming in, but Liam Dunn, Liam Dunn was there, the Guineys were there, uh, we had brought those in, 
and uh, Larry O. We brought Larry O back. Larry O had been there and we brought him back. Uh, brought in Adrian Fanlon. Fanlon was there. Um, Roy McCarthy was new. He was new. Uh, and Gary Laffin was new. But I think we had most of the other lads there. But Liam Griffin would be, uh, he's a special guy. And we didn't have a sports psychologist. And I think uh, Neve Fitzpatrick made a huge difference. And I mean, she uh, she seemed to have done a great job. Pardon me, you hear the lads talking about her now and uh, the massive, uh, and Liam kept her well under the radar. I think she was uh, operating as a physio or something, but uh, uh, she was top class, uh, a top class sports psychologist. And I think she did a super job there. And she's been doing a super job. She's worked with a number of teams since, and she's been doing a, a super job ever since uh, in many, in many, many situations and for many causes. Yeah, it kind of seems that that '96 squad had two sports psychologists. They had Lee Fitzpatrick and they had Liam Griffin. And Liam, <laughs> yeah, and I mean Liam would be top class. Also, he's, uh, I mean, he is uh, now he's a coach with uh, the Entrepreneur of the Year. Awards, and I see where he's uh, he's coaching uh, the uh, prop, you know that uh, the Leinster prop and uh, the Irish prop now as well. Andrew Porter. Andrew Porter, yeah, he's uh, he's working with him now as well. What's he doing with him? Uh, coaching him for you know as the uh, uh, on behalf of um, uh, Ernst and Young, preparing him for for a career after rugby. And as a selector, I remember in reading in Liam Dunn's book, Liam Dunn's book, that he he credited you and Jim Bulger for bringing bringing like the county the Wexford County teams finances up in order with the way the, the rest of the teams have been looked after. Well, Jim Bulger, uh, he was he has made a phenomenal contribution. We'll never get credit for the contribution he made. When things were bad and we were down, he was there to help us. I mean, he was organising uh, meals, for example. When we get beaten, he'd organise a meal down in Liam Griffiths Hotel down in Ross Lair. And I remember him arriving down with a pair of boots for everybody. Told him whatever size they wanted, they could, he'd, he'd buy a pair of boots for them. And that, and that gave them a great lift, gave the lads a great lift. But Jim also brought in, and we have... Uh, a big contributor over the last number of years that has been uh, we've been putting the, the finances into uh, hurling 365 and I mean for example we would have paid Willie Cleary's salary now for the last couple of years uh, who was a full time coach he's gone back teaching now primarily because he was being paid by um, he, we were paying half his salary Leinster Council were paying half his salary but Willie took on a job of coaching Gorey which Leinster Council didn't allow coaches to do that but really did it so as a result we paid him his full salary uh, and uh, we had uh, we the other half then went to uh, other coaches I mean it's phenomenal what, uh, what Derek Donald Derek Kent has done since he has come back in or come in as chairman this is the Dublin Supporters Club you're the Dublin Supporters Club uh, now Matty White Matty was uh, he was uh, played under 21 for Wexford early from Ballymitty he had to give up early because of injury or an illness maybe. But Matty is chairman of that now. Justin Prendergast had been chairman of it and did a phenomenal job. We lost him. 
we lost him very early and uh, he was doing a phenomenal job in fact he was involved with Michael O'Grady and myself that did a minor hurling review for the Deverix that time and he was chairman of the Asses to do it and Jim Bulger but I mean Jim Bulger has been there he was the one that brought in Gain when we couldn't get a, we couldn't get a sponsor he brought in Gain but he financed that a lot of that himself and you know he's uh, he, he he's forever there forever supporting Wexford Wexford causes and I mean he's the one that set up Hurling for Cancer as well and uh, we have been involved in for uh, for many years and a lot of the lads give freely of their time to uh, support that cell in Newbridge every year and uh, we went over the million uh, at the last last year's one we've gone over the million now that's, uh, that's, that's for cancer research I was involved Thank, th- thanks to you um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you yeah. acquitted yourself <laughs> you acquitted yourself <laughs> but uh, yeah no it's a phenomenal day of the crowd and the buzz around the stadium and just a bit of crack as well it's phenomenal there to that you could go there and meet the likes of Ronnie Delaney for example or Michael O'Leary or Willie Mullins or Rich Ritchie or uh, and you have Niall Quinn coming on and Niall Quinn yeah, 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 S- Stephen uh, Hunt and Conor McDonald arguing over who's going to take a penalty <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes there's a great uh, there's a great bit of an edge to it all right <laughs> Paul Nolan as an umpire waving absolutely everything wide (laughs) (laughs) and then standing in the goal as well (laughs) how many years has that been going on that's uh, this year was to be the eighth it's eighth year and what's what's the story with this year we're not sure yet we probably won't get away with it this year but we we will uh, we'll hopefully do it again next year you're a selector for one of the teams usually that's right. Yes, uh, I select uh, for my sins. Uh, select one of the uh, one of the teams. Uh, and we we get a great turnout, and the lads love being asked, and they want to come. And uh, it's great, you know. The likes of Peter Cannibal will come down there from uh, Tyrone, and he did a bit of hurling in his time. In fact, it was only just thinking Paul Galvin, uh, if he was available this or next year, we might get him up as well. He did a bit of hurling as well. Uh, with his club in fact I believe he's quite an accomplished hurler but I mean uh, for example now uh, this year as you would have seen Gary yourself uh, we had two goalkeepers Damien Fitzhenry on one side we had Brendan Cummins and the saves they brought off you had to see them to believe them they they were just awesome I still still can't believe some of the saves that were made that day Brendan Cummins saves he brought off that day were yeah. just unreal <laughs> as did Fitzy 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 had an absolutely phenomenal game and you'd call him man of the match any day of the week absolutely. until you see Brendan Cummins and some of the saves yeah. he made yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it was between the two of them we were actually between the two of them <laughs> you know even though Jim and myself Jim Bulger and myself were Wexford men we had to give it to, uh, <laughs> to yeah. Brendan Cummins but Fitzy would have other days and he has had, <laughs> we were talking to Adrian Fenlon about it and uh, he was hurling that wing back yes. and he was thinking you know ha, ha, dusting off the boots for this one or two games a year for charity games and uh, thinking he might get a handy one and who runs up to him only Taggy <laughs> <laughs> Taggy Fogarty that's right that's right I don't think he was too impressed having to mark Taggy <laughs> but <laughs> even uh, even Tag Furlong came there that day because he was on contract and uh, he was in training with Leinster in the rugby he couldn't play but he poked out a couple of balls he drove the ball into the field 
massive, a massive puck out. Wasn't he? Wasn't Jack Guy telling us he was he was full back on the other 14, 20 Farcel team that won. Yeah. So after you finished as a selector with Wexford, you went back and coached Kula? Yeah, we went when that was uh, 95, we won the championship again in Kula. And I was involved that year. Uh, I was involved with uh, Larry Shannon, who played with Dublin in 61, and looking at the Windy Allard in 61, but he has Wexford connections. Uh, and with Mick Hayes, who would be an uncle of uh, John Hayes, as the prop for Ireland. He was Limerick, he heard with Limerick and Munster. He was a de- detective here in Cabotini. And uh, it was great to win. It was great to win that one as well because we won that one against the head. When you win one or two, you often get through with a lesser or team that mightn't be as good and that you probably shouldn't win the championship. Right? Whereas for years, we were being beaten uh, with teams that were probably better than that particular team. And then you did a bit of coaching up in Ulster as well with Down. Yeah, I won an Ulster title with Down in '97. Uh, I was uh, was coaching them. We uh, we got to the All Ireland quarter final that year, and we played Tip in Clonus. But I was had been up. Uh, I used to go up on a Friday, go up Friday afternoon, and uh, I'd stay. I'd do a session Friday night, and then I'd do a good session on uh, on Saturday. If there was a match on, I'd stay for the match on the Sunday, otherwise I'd come home. But we went up on the usual Friday, but just before I left, uh, Jim Bulger rang me to tell me that Beach Project was running in the Cora. That was on Derby Day the following day. And, and it was after running during the week in Tipperary, finished third. But uh, in any case, we went up because the kids were coming up with me, Ian and the kids were coming up with me. And uh, so we did our training session with uh, Greg Blaney and uh, we had a very good doll and two of the Sands brothers, the Blaney brothers. We had a very, they were very good, steeped in hurling. There again, there was about three senior teams in down at a time. But uh, so I had a meeting with them after the session on the Friday night and I just said, lads, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go, go back early. I wonder could we do a session at six in the morning? So the lads knew I was involved in the horses and uh, they wanted to know why and I said, I'll give you a horse before I go. So uh, <clears throat> we did the session anyway at six, we met there at six and uh, so I told them to, to cut it back, beach project each way, each way, it was an each way bit. And the horse won at 16 to 1. So uh, the next uh, time I went up I had a very happy camp <laughs> you didn't go up at 6 o'clock the next morning uh, no, no. <laughs> the training was postponed <laughs> we won uh, we won Ulster we won Ulster that, uh, that uh, and then we had the semi-final but didn't be a temporary Aidan Ryan had a stormer that day and uh, <clears throat> unfortunately the beat us can't remember by how much now but fairly comprehensive anyway we weren't even we were in the in the game of the first half and the second half then tip just took over and that, that was the first year of the back door and without the back door down would have been hurling wexford in the semi-final wouldn't they that's right that would have been an interesting one <laughs> <laughs> how would you have approached that game <laughs> um, what do you make of the uproar national uproar that seems to be going on about the Wexford County Championship this year. Well, I don't think there's any problem with the Wexford County Championship. I don't think there ever was. I think there's agendas out there. 
and uh, I must say I was very disappointed with the, with the uh, CPA that they would put up an anonymous letter on their website and I mean that that anonymous letter is uh, making serious uh, allegations and making derogatory uh, comments about uh, our chairman Derry Kent who in my book has been phenomenal absolutely phenomenal he has really turned things around big time in Wexford I don't think we've ever had a better administrator and for these derogatory comments to go up on a website uh, in fact I'm amazed that any reputable organisation would put up uh, an anonymous letter uh, like they had because it's uh, laced with untruths first of all and I mean anyone that would refer to uh, or make reference to Derry Kent uh, I mean it's really targeting Wexford and targeting Derry Kent and I don't know I don't know who's behind it but I do know that uh, you know it's like like a Twitter troll <coughs> or a keyboard warrior the way uh, the way this whole thing is operated uh, and they're criticizing somebody hiding behind a computer screen I mean why don't they why don't they come out front and say what they have to say and put their names to it uh, that's what I can't understand. But I also can't understand why CPA would put an anonymous letter up. I mean, nobody would, uh, could have credibility in doing something like that. You know, and it's like the uh, it's like the excerpt from Kelly the Boy from Killan and poor Wexford stripped naked, hung high on a cross, with her heart pierced by traitors and knaves. You know, that's the kind of feeling that I have to see Wexford and to see... Wexford chairman being betrayed in this way because I mean this guy has been phenomenal and he acts in a voluntary capacity you know at the time and effort he puts into and what's more he's driving the uh, the GEA or certainly helping to drive the GEA at the moment uh, and he's out there out front pushing and trying to get during an, a pandemic uh, trying to get the games played again and he's one of the first that's out with a plan and he's been proactive all the time. I mean, uh, I can see it myself because I've been working with Wexford over the years in trying to uh, get the 365 in place. Um, and there's a number of other people as well in the support stuff here in Dublin, as well as Liam Griffin uh, on the ground. And we can see what he has done. I mean, look at all the coaches. I mean, it wasn't possible to get a coach there at one stage. Look at all the coaches that are there on the ground now. And look at... We had a full-time, we were able to get a full-time coach going around to the schools. And I mean, there's so many of the schools now, uh, what we have pushed is the uh, uh, the amalgamation of the club and the school, where the, the, uh, the club takes ownership of the school. Uh, we're working with the coaches in that in, in that regard and uh, putting the funds, making the funds available. I mean, we'd be after pumping in about three quarters of a million there over the last five or six years uh, into hurling uh, development underage at that level. Be interesting to see where it goes. And I mean, we won Leinster for the first time in a number of years uh, this year, and we were looking at it being an All Ireland final. A few small things would have made such a difference on the day. And we know that we have a team now that can compete for beating Kilkenny again. When did that last happen? Mm. You know, I mean, uh, Dermot Everix uh, put things in place as well. He worked hard and he had a lot of work to do. He worked hard, he got Davy in. But Derry Kent has brought everything to another level uh, there, together with, 
with his county board and we had with Michal Martin as well I mean Michal Martin has also worked tirelessly there so why they should be targeted I don't know Who was the best hurler you ever hurled with? Be Dan Quigley or Tony Dorn and Dan is a back but was also a forward and uh, uh, Tony I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be able to uh, distinguish between the two or make a call between the two they were both brilliant powerhouses and who was the toughest player you ever had to mark Frank Cummins seven honours in the middle of the field speaks for itself does <laughs> what type of hurl did you use a Randall an Albert Randall Albert yeah I always thought they were too thin the boss was too t- too small I, I always thought but I always got him to, to make it put in a tick back as I did a lot of first time hurling I always got him to put in a tick back on it which meant you get a much better a drive uh, off a line ball or a ball off the ground If you were to pick a player to go to war with who would it be? I could pick any one of the uh, of the 68 panel and the one that stands out for me is an unsung hero uh, one who got very little credit for the, ma- the massive contribution he made and that was Eddie Kelly our full back in fact, I believe if Father John Murphy had to have him on Vinegar Hill in 98, it could have been a different result there. Thanks very much for your time, Dave. Thanks, Dave. That was great. Great meeting up with you lads again, and thank you. So that was our podcast with the great Dave Burney. hope you enjoyed it. Unfortunately, Shane Tompkins couldn't make it, as he had an appointment with the taxidermist, and it went on longer than expected so hopefully you got everything sorted there we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a savage guest in the meantime if you'd like share retweet tell your friends that'd be great thanks for listening